steps into it. Pass is caught. Diggs! Sideline! Touchdown! Unbelievable! Vikings win it! podcast. I am BJ Rydell, back here with my guy, Drew Mahold. And today we have a little bit of a two-for-one episode as we did last week. Uh, we're going to do a quick little recap here of that disaster of a football game that the Vikings found a way to win on Monday night at Soldier Field uh, by a final score of what was it, 17 to 9 or something hilarious like that. Uh, so we'll touch base there. Um, not a whole lot of takeaways, spoiler alert. Um, and then we'll finish up here like we typically do with a preview of next week's game, which of course is at home and a must win level game uh, against the Los Angeles Rams who are finding their stride at the right moment. And then um, of course we'll finish up with our picks as well as we do every week. So uh, that is the game plan for today's show. Uh, let's hop right into it here with some thoughts on that Chicago game. Um, I think all of us kind of knew this one was going to be gross, you know, even coming into the week, you know, Drew and I were both kind of, trying to just find discover a way that this could go poorly just because it seems to always go poorly. And as the week developed, it became a situation where if the Vikings basically didn't win this one by two scores, it was going to be at the very least a morale loss um, based hmm. off of the amount of players that Chicago uh, was limited. And coaches. By. Yeah. And, and coaches, exactly. Play calling coaches at that too, by the way. Uh, and, of course, the one who was there is probably the worst one of all in Matt Nagy. So you've got mm -hmm. basically um, a secondary that was filled with either rookies or, uh, you know, second- and third-year players with very little experience. Uh, I will say that Graham, I believe it's Thomas Graham in their secondary, had one hell of a night. And I think that that guy might be someone to watch for um, in the future here. Um, it sounds like from what I had heard from Chicago fans is that he just hadn't gotten an opportunity and a lot of people were waiting to see him play. And I believe he had three pass breakups mm -hmm. uh, throughout the night, a couple of them very nice. One of them definitely in the middle of the end zone that would have resulted in a touchdown had he not gotten the hand in there on a diving play. Um, so they actually played pretty well. And honestly, that's part of what I have a problem with uh, in this football game is that that secondary that was smashed together last second and they were playing at, at the most three different coverage sets and different, I mean, simply in terms of alignment and zone coverage. Um, they were doing nothing fancy. Um, it was basically, okay, we're going to rush the passer with three or four um, and then try to hold zone against a, mm -hmm. a, you know, a relatively beat up receiving core for the Vikings. And that, I mean, they lost the game, but it kind of worked. And that's why I'm frustrated. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I think when you said, you know, they got pressure with four quite a bit, which I think is one of the concerning factors here. Um, but uh, I, I think it also, I felt like a game where Mike Zimmer just wanted to get it, get it in there and get out of there as quick as he could, um, which is probably why Dalvin Cook ran the ball 30 times or whatever it was. And uh, like I said, I think he just wanted to get that win, realized they got up early with the Jefferson touchdown um, and really just tried to make this game go by as quickly as possible. And so I think that kind of, you know, took away from what the Vikings did offensively. Um, I think that's part of the reason Kirk was limited. I also think, um, 
you know, the, the weather played a part into it, but also, um, they're the, you know, the, the pressure they were able to get and Akeem Hicks just wrecking things for the Vikings on every other snap. So, guy, you know, I, I'm not, I'm not, obviously I'm not pleased with the performance because, you know, you want to see a, a, your team light up a, a defense that's beat up that badly. But I also don't think, you know, they were, they were really trying to, I think they were just trying to get that game over with and be done. It's kind of what it felt like. That's quite kind of what, you know, you, you, why you saw Dalvin run the ball as many times as he did for two or three yards. So I don't have a huge problem with it. I'm not taking a bunch from it, um, but I yeah. do think it's hilarious that Kirk probably had his two worst games of the year or two of his three worst games of the year. And he gets back to back primetime wins to kind of, you know, alleviate that narrative that's been on his, you know, on his back, the whole, his whole career, really. It's funny that he did that with two, probably of his worst box score games of the season. Right. Right. And that's super interesting, too, because, you know, the the greatest critique of Kirk Cousins, of course, is that he doesn't win football games. He moves to 500 for his career, by the way, with that victory at Soldier <laughs> Field. I believe that's 58, 58 and two. How many, by the way, just as a side note, I don't know how many quarterbacks have two ties on their resume and have lasted as long as Kirk Cousins yeah. has, by the way. Just a random note. I don't know the answer to it. I just thought it was kind of funny when I when I realized that he had not one but two ties in his career. Um, so he's at, at the 500 mark, uh, has a chance to become a winning quarterback this next week here against the Los Angeles Rams. But really, for me, I guess what bothered me was Chicago. And I do think that this kind of is another one of those games similar to the Steelers game a couple weeks back where we're like, all right, they won. I'm not really taking a whole lot away from it. And that's the truth because, you know, we didn't get that Jalen Johnson, Justin Jefferson matchup that Drew mm-hmm. and I were talking about. Um, we didn't really get to see you know, grade A starter versus grade A starter, essentially across the board. I think the main takeaway is that Mason Cole can't handle Akeem Hicks. And honestly, I don't know anyone in Minnesota who can or has in the last decade, been a problem. half decade. He's ridiculous. They, I think they said on the broadcast that he's had eight career games with multiple sacks. And four of those have occurred against your Minnesota Vikings, most recently, of course, being Monday night. So that dude is as good of a game wrecker specifically against Minnesota as you're going to find. And really, he did everything and more to give his team a chance to win. And I'm not saying they had a chance to win, especially when it mattered down the stretch. Like the game was over with essentially 15 minutes to play. You know, the Vikings got the job done, but if there was any individual who kept Chicago in it, it's Akeem Hicks. And apparently he's going to leave Chicago after this year based off of a quote that was reported by Chicago local media, verified mm-hmm. Chicago local media, by the way. Um, so that's good news. And we hope, we, we hope of course, right. that he goes to the AFC. But again, that's neither here nor there at the moment. Um, the Vikings didn't rush the ball effectively either. No. Uh, Dalvin Cook was- They really pass. haven't had that many- Great rushing games this year when no, you look back haven't. at it. I mean, the it's Steelers game, the Steelers game is a massive outlier, uh, all sure. things considered, you know, especially the last few games. I mean, that's Niners game was tough on the ground. This Bears game was tough on the ground. They haven't had a ton of success rushing the ball lately. And uh, I, I do wonder, you know, I, I think last year there was a ton of effectiveness with the kind of the, the zone blocking scheme. I, I, I think it was almost like one of those regression to the mean things um, as a team where, you know, the, we, we know the offensive line isn't uh, spectacular or elite and the personnel there just, it, it, it's not enough. Um, I know we have, you know, Derisaw looks like he could be a great 
building block for the future. O'Neal already is one. But on the interior, there's just so many question marks. And so uh, that's eventually going to catch up to you. I think it has the last you know, few games, I would say. Um, and it's leaving Kirk out to drive, but also it's just, it's, it's putting Dalvin and the, you know, the running game in general in a, in a tough hole. So, you know, I, it, it does have, give me concern for these next couple of games when, you know, you play the Rams, you play the Packers, you're going to need to put up more points than that. Um, and be able to, if you do get that right. lead, be able to kind of extend it, right. Cause you can't rely on your defense to, you know, hold and shut down, you know, Justin Fields and a rookie quarterback of Chicago again, cause it's going to be, Sean McVay, a led Matt Stafford offense uh, with mm-hmm. Cooper Cup, the best you know leading receiver in every statistic you want to throw out there, uh, and then of course the Packers the following week are they're also going to put a bunch of points. So right. you can't get that complacent offensively again. And I, I hope the Vikings have some things in store to account for that. Okay, so a couple more points here on that Chicago game, then I'm I'm ready to move on. Just because, like I said, I, and this is part of the reason why we didn't do a recap show is there really isn't much to analyze, right? Like you're, there's not, um, the statistics don't matter. The performance honestly doesn't matter outside of the scoreboard itself. And really the scoreboard is not a reflection of the football game because of that ridiculous touchdown at the end of the game. I mean, this is really a 17 to three game an 18 versus a, you know, a practice squad, essentially, there's not a whole lot to take away. There are a couple of moments that I want to touch on though first. And I want to get your opinion on, I kind of want to just out to the public here to see what they have to think, think as well. The Eric Kendricks ejection, right? I think this was a very polarizing moment. I think especially for Minnesota Vikings fans who know Eric Kendricks, have watched him play throughout his career. I saw a ton of Vikings fans playing defense on Twitter the second that Kendricks was thrown out of the football game. couple things on that note. Uh, first and foremost, it's a clear 15-yard penalty, right? Head-to-head contact, defender, quarterback. It's going to get called every single time when he goes into – you know, a, a vulnerable position when he goes to the slide. That's not what I am really, that's not what I think is up for debate here. The thing that I think is up for debate is the decision to eject um, Eric Kendricks in the game, right? Um, ultimately, it doesn't really matter. Kendricks basically gets a quarter off. It is what it is, no big deal, whatever. But the call to eject, eject him for, I guess, it's, it's subjective, of course, he makes the head-to-head contact, but there is some discretion there um, in terms of what actually happened. Generally speaking, when a player is ejected from a game, it's malicious intent, right? Like there's a, a – It's an Anderson Day hell play. <laughs> right, exactly. That's perfect, yeah. Or I always kind of go back to when, when Odell Beckham literally – this is what, 2015, when he ran a route, went all the way back around the field and came back and just put his helmet into the back of uh, – Norman, Josh Norman. Right. Exactly. Like that was malicious intent. It clearly was like the guy had lost control. He needs to be removed from the game. or he's going to hurt someone. This to me is a lot different because I think you can make a claim that Kendricks looked like he was pulling up a little bit. Yeah. He lowered his shoulder, but his, and his head did make contact. So I'm not arguing the flag, give him the 15 for sure. But I didn't see an intent to injure on that play. And to me, that's what quote targeting is. I know it's not a tar, you know, a personal foul at the NFL level, but that's essentially what they call is if it's a quote targeting play, that's when you get the ejection. I didn't see that from Eric no. Kendricks and my history of watching him play football quite literally every game of his entire career, multi, you know, for at least six seasons, all of those games on film from the, you know, the all 22 as well. 
I, I, I have a little bit of an issue with that. Did you, how did you feel about that? Well, I think, and what was your take on that? So what I think happened was, and they, I think they alluded to this on the broadcast, but Justin Fields slides more upright than other quarterbacks do. I think it was greasy. Maybe who had mentioned this, that uh, a lot of quarterbacks or yeah, I think a lot of quarterbacks, so they'll, they'll slide and they'll be leaned back a little bit more with their head kind of towards the ground a little bit more. Um, and then whether that's the right way or the wrong way, um, is probably up for debate. Uh, but I think that's what Kendricks was preparing for. And so, uh, as you know, Fields was basically 90 degrees to the ground, like he was straight up and down as he slid. And I don't think Kendricks expected that. And that's how he made contact. And I think, I think you're right. I think he was very clearly trying to pull up a little bit, but, uh, he was too low already and, mm-hmm. um, couldn't stop himself because he's moving so fast. Fields is moving so fast and fields was also that upright. And so, uh, you know, the contact was made and you're right. I, I don't see any malicious intent there. I do think, you know, like Harrison Smith has made some plays that are probably more malicious than that, uh, yeah, for sure. So it's, I was surprised to see that. Um, and I, I, I agree with you that I don't think an ejection was warranted there, but you know, we are on the, the bias side of the of that right. perspective, important but to know for sure. I would, I would like to kind of, it would be interesting to see, you know, uh, like the, the opinions of other fans around the league that see that play, see Kendrick's kind of trying to pull up there, um, you know, immediately noticed that he made that mistake and didn't seem and seemed to show some remorse about it. Um, and That's then, was, and then yeah. was, you know, taken away from the field and, and then he has to go to the locker room. Um, mm-hmm. And, as, and isn't able to even watch the game on the sideline with his teammates. So uh, that's, it did seem too much to me, and I, I'm with you on that. Yeah, I thought that was kind of an interesting moment. Of, again, of course, it has no bearing. I don't believe there's even been a fine levied against Kendricks for that play, um, at least to date as of this recording. There probably um, will be, but. I, I think it's going to come. I, I do, but at this point, it ha- nothing has happened there. Um, I, I just thought it was a very interesting play, especially you know recently with Kenny Pickett at Pittsburgh, of course doing the fake slide, I think that just adds that much more um, kind of leverage for the defender on that type of play where that, by the way, I know it's I just, been outlawed in college football. It has yeah. not been outlawed at the professional level to date. And I think that that probably is on every defender's mind right now. And I mean, the second I saw Pickett do that, by the way, I was like, all right, this is bad news because all of a sudden defenders have to now consider that a, a quarterback makes right. a fake fly. Well, and, that's and why I they think outlawed it. I, I'm still on that side of I, there's just no way to stop it. You know, like there's no right. way to stop to a player from moving as fast as they are and completely alter their their path or their their body to get out of the way of that. Because uh, a lot of these times, if you watch these, it, the result or the the result is because of the ball carrier, you know, lowering or, or maneuvering, maybe lowering their head or maneuvering themselves in a way, uh, or maybe they're hit by another player. And then that causes their head to go into a different position that makes in con- that comes in contact with the defender who's penalized. So there's, I, you know, I, again, there's, I know that the safety is a top priority. I'm not advocating for, you know, these hits, to, these hits to be legal or, or supported, but it's just, I, I really think there's so many of these scenarios where there's the defender really can't do much else besides essentially every time you go to tackle a player, you have to be extra cautious. And that would be really bad for the sport. If you're taught to be cautious about tackling, because then you remove a lot of, um, you know, it would get so sloppy out there. Right. I mean, tackling would is would the, the fundamentals would go away and you'd have, you know, 40 to 
37 games every single Sunday uh, with regularity because nobody would tackle and it would get out, uh, you know, out of control. So uh, again, I, there's not really an, I don't have an answer. Like I don't have a solution. I'm sitting here talking, but I don't have a, a solution. It's yeah. just, I, I feel for the defensive players in those situations every time. Especially given the circumstances that we, you know, the contemporary NFL where everything's already working against the defender. It just right. adds one more level to it, which is just, you know, it's, it's, it makes it difficult, especially for defense first team like Minnesota. I mean, I know that we have, an, it, well, you know what I'm saying is a head coach is trying to coach defense first and foremost. I know it's not mm-hmm. the best defense he's ever had. I know that this is not necessarily a team that wins with defense, but that is the way that they try to win football games. And, you know, it was a fairly solid defensive performance. I know against a shorthanded team, but you know, you held David Montgomery basically to, you know, nothing in the second half after a couple solid runs and, you know, as a whole, I think the Vikings defended very well, um, despite, you know, again, playing against basically a JV team. Um, second piece, the final note that I wanted to make is Christian Derrissaw specifically. Um, he was going up against Robert Quinn. Um, Robert Quinn is having basically a repeat of his 2013 season in which I believe he had 18 and a half or 19 sacks. Um, he seems to have somehow found that second wind. Well, what is it? eight years later or something like that, which by the way, just in and of itself, extremely cool, very impressive, deserves some level of a trophy that I don't think exists, but he's a pro bowler for sure. Um, he goes up. It's really the first matchup where Derrissaw gets a premier caliber defender, at least a guy that's mm-hmm. playing like that. Um, he winds up with his highest pro football focus grade um, of his entire career. And this is kind of a perfect example to me of where you kind of, you take these tools with a grain of salt, you know, pro football focus does an awesome job. You know, we have guys on our team who swear by it, who are involved with their organization, et cetera. I'm not talking down about pro football focus. I do think it's very interesting though, that the reason why, and I believe it was Sean Borman who pointed this out. The reason why he gets that high grade is because he dominated as a run blocker, but was basically um, a liability as a pass blocker, which, you know, it's hard for me to sit here and be like, all right, this dude dominated in the second most important part of his game. He's a blindside protector. Pass protection is just simply more Mm -hmm. more important for a left tackle. It's very difficult for me to sit here and be like, all right, this dude dominated run blocking but he sucked in pass protection. I believe it was his first game allowing multiple pressures, let alone multiple sacks and be like, all right, this is the best game of his pro career. What are you, I guess, what are your thoughts on Derrissaw's performance? I know that there's, this is one of the true matchups where you can actually gain some level of a takeaway from because he gets his first veteran savvy defender, a high IQ player, a guy that's playing in a scheme that benefits his skill set. Basically all arrows point to Robert Quinn having a good day, Derrissaw, in my opinion, kind of failed his first true test at the NFL level, despite multiple back-to-back games of, at the very least, above average performance. Do we take anything away from this? Is this an outlier? How do you feel about Derrissaw moving forward? He's going to have, you know, some of his toughest matchups coming up. I believe it'll probably be Von Miller next week, who is as savvy as they come, as smart of a pass rusher as you can find in the NFL and it makes me a little bit nervous just inherently with yeah. that type of guy coming to the coming to the you know US Bank Stadium this week. Yeah, I, I think he, you know, I think you know his biggest strength I believe is on the ground. Uh, not that he can't be a solid, you know, blindside pass protector, uh, but there's I think there is something to the game flow kind of dictating that a little bit. Uh, at least 
in, in reference to the PFF grade, but you know, I, I think it's something to concern or that is concerning. Um, but I still take Darisaw over most, you know, left tackles that um, Kirk has had during his time here in Minnesota. Right. So, um, you know, I'm not super worried about it yet. Um, I think again, Quinn's a stud. And so I would be worried now again, if this becomes a trend, which it certainly hasn't yet. So at this point, I think you still feel pretty good about Darisaw on that left side. And then also obviously you have O'Neill on the right side. So I think you're pretty set there, which is kind of a rare thing to even uh, have on your side as a Vikings fan that that tackle position has been kind of, uh, you know, it's been in flux basically for ever since the right. Bryant McKinney days. Uh, you had Khalil's one good, one good year there at left tackle. You had to fill load hold for a while there at right tackle. I think since those guys were, have left, it's been, you know, basically a revolving door there of trying to find some right. consistency. And I think we are starting to see that now finally. So not too worried about Darius after that. Uh, again, as a run blocker, the guy's awesome. And it really hasn't been much of a doubt about that. And I think what you'll see then is, is, you know, Zimmer and well, Kubiak really playing to that more. And I think that's why he just got a bunch of reps in the run game. And that's kind of what helped his grade go up. Absolutely. And, and, you know, for what it's worth, this is a run first team. I mean, Dalvin cook essentially confirmed that on the Pat McAfee show today saying that, you know, Zimmer's going to try to run the ball first and foremost, and that's just how he's going to coach. So that really is, you know, the most important thing, Generally speaking, I mean, I grade left tackles just simply off of pass protection. That's just how I am. As a, I think most people would agree with me that as a left tackle, your for your number one quality needs to be pass protection. If you're a if you're a limited run blocker, you can get around that and still get paid fifteen twenty million dollars a year if you can pass protect effectively. I do think this is an example of a rookie just getting showed up. That's kind of what I think. It's a welcome to the NFL. I feel like I mean, most rookies have that moment at some point. I think they all have. Um, Penny Penny Sewell in Detroit has had that moment, I think, a couple of different times this year. He was the one guy that had the definitive grade above Darisaw in terms of being, you know, this rookie class. And and by the way, Darisaw is a rookie, and he's less of a – or I guess more of a rookie than your average rookie. I know I just said rookie a lot, but – my point being is that he's played limited games. His first two trust true tests did not go great, but he gets another one this week with Bob Miller. Probably I will see how, you know, uh, Los Angeles decides to kind of execute their defensive game plan against the Vikings. But I do think that he'll at least see some pass rush snap from one of the best in the biz. So he gets a second chance here. Um, I do think it's a one-off. That's how I feel right now, at least. And I do think that sometimes those can be building block moments. I mean, the Vikings still won the game, right? Um, Kirk played terrible, (laughs) at least by his standard, right? The standard that he has set for himself, he played terribly. Um, And you can say what you want. They spike, he still won. And honestly, I think it was, you know, another one of our team members here that said that I'd rather win or I'd rather win ugly than lose pretty. Right. Like, that's just that's just how it is. Like, and I feel the exact same way. It is what it is. You get out of this game and it's fine. But excuse me. Um, I mean, I I do have to say, though, I, I think on the Kirk thing, it's been, you know, arguably four games in a row now that have been subpar for him. Uh, that you know the standard has been set high basically since that Packers game, and since then you know he hasn't really put four quarters together in one game. I mean the the Niners game he had a good half, Lions game had a good half, uh, but then yeah, a poor other you know other halves in that game. The Steelers game was ugly from the start. The Bears game was ugly from the start. So uh, I think it's something to watch, and the Vikings will certainly need good Kirk uh, against the Rams and against the Packers. So 
basically four games in a row. Now he's been subpar in my estimation um, since that Packers win. And you're going to need good Kirk above average Kirk at the very least to beat the Rams and to beat the Packers and keep the playoff hopes alive. Absolutely. All right. So I think that's probably a good place here for us to move into that Los Angeles Rams matchup here coming up uh, this weekend at U.S. Bank Stadium. Uh, This is about as tough a test as you're going to find. And again, this is a must have game for your Minnesota Vikings. If you had been paying attention to Twitter, which I assume most of you have been, um, the Vikings were crushed by the New Orleans Saints giving Tom Brady a 9-0 loss last weekend. Um, I believe it was a 42% drop off from the Vikings making the postseason as a result of that Saints victory, right? Um, and you know, you guys can all use the internet as well. You can go check out their schedule. But essentially, New Orleans and Philadelphia are seven and seven as well, and they both have both of those teams have what I would consider to be cupcake schedules um, for the rest of this season, and only. Um, only one of those three teams can get in at that number seven seed. And the Vikings, by losing to Detroit, have essentially limited themselves to being uh, the number seven seed at the very best at this point in the season. That's just kind of where it stands. They got three games. If they win all three of them, great. They're in the postseason. But it starts this week with Los Angeles. And you do get to play at home. Um, that's good news, right? Um, it is an opponent that has shown different types of vulnerability throughout the season. Um, they've been beaten in different ways. Uh, they Seattle just played them very, very close on Tuesday night, by the way, which in theory also benefits mm-hmm. the Vikings in terms of rest and um, practice time and so forth. Um, there are some things that are working in the Vikings favor here, and there are some ways that the some avenues to victory, I suppose, um, based off of what Los Angeles has shown on the flip side um, and probably the more, uh, fair argument, I suppose, is that the Vikings are going up against an opponent that has them completely overmatched in essentially every facet of the game on paper, right? Um, with exception to the rushing attack, um, I think that Los Angeles is above them, again, on paper in just about every single way, whether it's the passing game with Matthew Stafford the receiving core, which I know the Vikings have Justin Jefferson. Well, the Rams have maybe the best receiver in the NFL right now at Cooper Cup and Odell Beckham, who seems to be reviving his career on a weekly basis right now. Uh, I know Robert Woods is going to be out of this game, but you've also got Tyler Higby. You've got a number of other weapons. I think the Vikings receiving core is, is maybe by a small amount, but not as good, period. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you look at the the offensive line, Andrew Whitworth on the left side, I'm a lot more comfortable with the, what, 40-year veteran than um, Christian Derrissaw, despite his having a very solid rookie performance. I think the Rams are definitely better in the trenches, especially when you flip over to the defensive side of the ball with Aaron Donald, Von Miller, and such. Um, essentially, every level on both sides of the ball, the Vikings have an on-paper disadvantage. How does this one go well? I mean, is there any what, what can the Vikings do to keep their site season alive? Is there any is there anything realistic that we can claim as you know an opportunity outside of maybe being like, all right, they've played poorly before. Maybe they'll play poorly again this week. Yeah, it, it, it is an interesting one because the Rams have had a couple of flukes and they do that every year. Right. Where they kind of have that that outlier big loss um, last year. I think it was last year they lost to the Jets at home. Uh and then this year they had kind of those back-to-back games, Tennessee and the Niners, where they were both, both games, they were just, just, you mean dismantled. Um, 
the one thing that I mean, I'm, I'm kind of uh, back and forth on it is how Zimmer and McVeigh match up because you know their their first matchup uh, was at US Bank Stadium in 2017, and that was the the you know the Vikings 13 and three year. The Rams came in and had all this hype. Um, you know, it was McVay's rookie season as a head coach. They were flying high. Uh, they were putting up points like nobody's business on everybody that, you know, Todd Gurley was having the MVP season mm-hmm. and they come in and score seven points on Mike Zimmer's defense. It was a 21 or 24 to seven win. Uh, the following season is that Thursday night game at uh, in Los Angeles when, that yeah, well as you remember, uh, Jared Goff put up like 460 yards and five touchdowns or whatever it was. Probably uh, the best and, game of his career. And just totally outclassed Zimmer. Uh, McVay did in every aspect of, of the, the scheme uh, head-to-head matchup. So there's very there's there's ends of the spectrum there that need to be kind of settled here uh, in this matchup. And I think – I still think Zimmer, you know, for everything that we might, you know – criticize him for I mean, when it comes to, you know, the, the end of half defense or, you know, how kind of the, the, you know, allowing more points on a weekly basis the last couple of years than in the past. But I still think he's got his fastball when it comes to dialing up a blitz on, on third and down. And I think he also knows Matt Stafford really well and has had a ton of success against Matt Stafford in the past. And so those are two things that I think there's provide reason for optimism here. Uh, for this game. And the other thing too is, you know, I, this is just a fun stat I looked up, but Odell Beckham has been terrible against the Vikings. And so there's, yeah. um, I, I, obviously Cooper Cup's going to be the most dangerous weapon here. That's the one to keep, keep an eye on. But I think there are reasons that you can say this Vikings offense will at least keep the Rams contained. But I think either way you look at it, it's going to take a big game from the Vikings offense. So here is kind of my number one concern and that, I mean, it's it's very obvious, and it's Cooper Cup, because the Vikings, at the very best, have a limited secondary. Since we last spoke, of course, Bashad Breland uh, yeah. was uh, evacuated from the organization. Um, That's a fun story. Kind of a kind of a, yeah, kind of a fun story, and just another perfect example of this Vikings season kind of being. And for what it's worth, I don't think that changes anything with the secondary. Really, I mean, I don't think much is different now. You Except have for playing instead of Breland. Yeah. yeah, I guess. I mean, depth wise, it for sure changes things, but I don't think you'll notice down the field, I guess. Yeah, it, it, the, the only movement there is it basically it essentially forces Chris Boyd into action. And Chris Boyd had his, I believe, his best game as a pro last week. So, you know, there is that. Um, but Cooper Cup can do a lot of the same things that Justin Jefferson does well in terms of running great routes and then also being moved inside and out and getting away from their top defender on the, on the opposition, right? Which of course is going to be Patrick Peterson. That's in theory, that's who you got to put on Cooper cup that in theory, again, leaves Odell Beckham wide open for Cameron Dantzler, who, again, I, I, I don't know where I'm at with Cameron Dantzler. I'm, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm very much a roller coaster in terms of how I feel about that player. And I think his career kind of merits that through one and a half seasons, but it's an interesting matchup, but really what I'm concerned about is Cooper cup, who of course has 90 yards in every single game this season. I don't think there's a chance in hell he doesn't get to 90 yards against your Minnesota Vikings. I don't think there's any way. I, I don't think the Vikings can scheme it up where they have two defenders, you know, over the top, a la what the Ravens did against Devontae Adams last week. 
I don't think they can bracket him and try to get him open. I don't think they can play zone and keep him, keep the ball away from him. I don't think there's any true way to stop Cooper Cup outside of the guy being injured because he seems to get injured. On like, and when I say injured, I should say hurt. He seems to get hurt regularly when he plays throughout this year. And he normally, he misses two or three snaps, comes back out there, catches three more balls and two touchdowns. And that's just kind of how it's been all season long for the guy. I don't think there's a way to stop him. And the Rams have shown, however, this is my point, is that the Rams still lose games when Cooper Cup is lights out. They, he's had multiple games this season in which the Rams have lost by multiple scores, and Cooper Cup has gone off for 100-plus, a touchdown yeah. plus. Well, even la- even the, the Seahawks game, yeah. great game, right? But th- it, took some, it took a questionable pass interference and some other things going against Seattle Three for that game to be balls. put away. Yeah. yeah, so there was, you know, I think you're right about, you know, and I, I will say this, and I want to, I don't know if this is a really fair comparison at all, but 2019, well, the playoff game against the Saints, so it would have been 2020, but the 2019 season, that was Michael Thomas's, you know, unbelievable season, right? Where he led the league and everything. Um, the Vikings contained him in that playoff game, and they were very undermanned in the secondary. If you remember, Andrew Sandejo was the slot cornerback of that game. And they, I think he, I want to say, someone can look this up and, and verify with me, but I'm pretty sure he had seven catches for 70 yards, uh, which at the time, huge win because he was putting up Cooper Cup-like numbers in that season. We're routinely going for 100 yards, you know, seven, eight, nine catches in the game. And so to keep him on end wraps like that, there, there's there's times it just, it seems like this happens. And I'm kind of, it might be crazy to some people, but. I'm putting my faith in Mike Zimmer to contain Cooper Cup because I think he'll find a way to do that. That just seems like, you know, when, when it's time for Mike Zimmer back against the wall, Vikings are essentially out of the playoffs if they lose this game. And, you know, you got that, you got a big time opponent in front of you. He can put together a, that game plan. And I think he will. And I think this game will be competitive. I'm not saying Cooper Cup will be held under that 90 yards or anything like that, but it wouldn't surprise me if he was contained. Uh, to a point where um, you, know, you look back and say, wow, the Vikings actually did a pretty darn good job on Cooper Cup. Yeah. Yeah. I guess my final question in, on that subject specifically is we've seen the way that Patrick Peterson has been used throughout the season. Early on, um, you saw him more just shading one side of the field. There have also been moments where he has traveled, right? He has moved from the outside into the, the interior of the formation and followed a guy around. Um, if you're the Vikings, do you – set up in a way to stop the outside receiver, whether that's Cooper Cup or Odell Beckham, or do you have Patrick Peterson travel around with Cooper Cup? Um, I, he's a solid outside corner. Of course, he's lost a bit of a step. I still think he's as smart as you're going to find at the position and that he can get away with some things because of that. Um, but he's, uh, he's considerably weaker in the slot, given the fact that he's lost a little bit of foot speed and, that's can be the difference with a tremendous route runner like Cooper Cup. So my question to you is if you were Mike Zimmer, would you travel Patrick Peterson following him around Cooper Cup, making sure that he's stopped or do you keep him on the outside and just shut down one side of the field? I should say shut down, but limit one side of the field. See, I am worried about the outside throws and that's kind of where teams can really get beat a lot more because the safety help isn't necessarily there. Um, I would want Peterson on the outside and, and, to a point, I don't think, I don't, I, I don't think it would, it would help if, if I don't. To this sounds like disrespecting Patrick Peterson, but I don't, I don't know how much it would help putting him in the slot on Cup. 
Uh, I'm assuming Cup is going to be in the slot most of the time. Um, I don't know if that would help even that much. Where I think you keep Pearson outside and um, kind of go the extra mile for other thing, other ways to keep Cup contained. You know, the bracket stuff, uh, kind of shading a guy on his side of the field, maybe uh, again having uh, you know your, your zone uh, defense kind of shadowing him a little bit more. Uh, there's going to be ways that, that they go about it. Uh, maybe they go to the extremes that Baltimore did against Devontae Adams this past weekend. Not sure exactly what the Zimmer will draw up, but I, I, I would be surprised if he moves Peterson inside for it. So that is an interesting thing. Of course, you know, the matchup, like you stated, McVay trying to scheme against Zimmer, who's going to be, you know, in theory, this is going to be a battle of wits, right? Now they're both going to come out with some sort of plan and then it's going to be straight adjustments probably for three quarters of play. Um, it's a true coaching matchup, offensive mind versus defensive mind. We'll see how that works. Now on the flip side, of course, um, when you have this head-to-head coaching matchup, you know, Rams offense versus Vikings defense, you also have a lesser matchup between coordinators, right? You've got what the Vikings are going to do offensively with Clint Kubiak you know, against the Rams and what they're going to do defensively against Raheem Morris. Now, Raheem Morris, of course, is a former head coach as well. He's got a very good resume. I think he calls a good defense in and of itself. He's got tons of playmakers that basically don't need to be coached at this point in their career too. Um, But you do get a different style of matchup, right? If you're going to highlight the focus of Zimmer versus McVay, well, it's on the flip side of the football. You've got, you know, a situation where in theory, like, you know, it becomes this matchup of superstars. Um, Justin Jefferson, Jalen Ramsey, I hope he's – I honestly, I hope he's out there because I would love to see Justin Jefferson get that premier matchup where he's facing off against a guy who has been considered basically undoubtedly the best cornerback in the game for the last half decade or so. Um, I would love to see that. I hope it happens. Um, but that's not the only thing that's going on, of course. You've got Aaron Donald. That's going to be coming up the middle. You've got to find a way to stop that guy, and I think it's going to take a true double team, meaning two offensive linemen, not just the guy that's going to you know, kick inside um, from the running back position and stop him at the second level because I don't think that's going to do anything. I think Aaron Donald goes straight through C.J. Ham. I think he goes to Davin Cook. I don't think it matters. I think you have to double him on the interior. That frees up a spot for Von Miller to come basically unstopped um, or un- unprohibited, I suppose. That creates a lot of problems. Do you trust Clint Kubiak at all to draw up a scheme that's going to work consistently and or you trust him to draw up an offense where he can design something and make adjustments to that piece throughout the game that's going to give the Vikings a matchup advantage? Or is this just going to be a wash, essentially, where the Vikings are going to be in trouble throughout the game because of the superstar caliber of players that they have at basically every level of this defense? One, I'm excited to watch Jalen Ramsey against Justin Jefferson. Um, this is a, a matchup I think the league is really excited for. You get two kind of long, lanky guys uh, mm-hmm. with crazy athleticism and are, you know, the elite of the elite at their craft one-on-one. Uh, that'll be a fun one to watch, and I'm excited for that. I'm assuming Ramsey will will, will, will shadow Jefferson all over the field, uh, or at least most of the He's time. He's going to want but, that for sure. Right. Uh, I, I think this is a big-time moment for Clint Kubiak. Um, this is a Rams defense that, you know, between Donald and Ramsey in particular, um, that's two guys that can totally disrupt your plans, right? Mm-hmm. Um, no, Donald. For both of them. I mean, and, and, and on paper, you have no way of defending Aaron Donald. You just don't. Um, it, the, the interior offensive lineman that you have at your disposal, there's just no, it's not a fair fight. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah. I think what you'll see a lot more of, and again, you're not going to totally neutralize Donald, but 
I would imagine you, I, I think you'll they'll include some screen games in there, a lot of draw plays uh, rather than kind of the the standard zone run, things like that to at least keep keep Donald you know guessing a little bit, and that's the best way to neutralize Aaron Donald that way. But he's still going to wreck your game. Uh, you still have to you know maybe on uh, maybe on some passes keep Madison or Cook or whoever else in there to maybe chip him a little bit. I know that the standard is to chip the outside guys, help your tackles a little bit. Maybe you go in and, you know, give a little shoulder to, to Donald as you go out on the route, something like that, I think would be key, but this is a big moment for Kubiak. I think if he can really put something together again, the offense has kind of been lacking past really been lacking the last six quarters. Now you put something together. Uh, you can, you, you, this is a game that could earn Kubiak an extension or some money or, you know, maybe another job somewhere if the Vikings don't retain him for whatever reason, because uh, this is the one where you probably should not win this game uh, just based on the matchups and having Donald on the interior, having Ramsey shut down, potentially one of your, your go-to receiving option. I mean, there's things working against you here. So if he can put something together, the Vikings can put up points and keep up in a shootout. That would be a huge win for him. So to me, this is the game that you open up a new page of the playbook, right? So Aaron Donald and Jalen Ramsey, we've talked at length about both players so far. It's not just the athleticism with these two guys. They're also two of the most annoying players in terms of knowing what you're thinking and knowing what you're doing before you're actually in motion. Um, And the reason for that, of course, is because both guys watch film. They really – more Jalen Ramsey than Aaron Donald, but they really, really care about how they're perceived by the rest of the league. Um, and it, it, it knocks their confidence. They may, they will never say it, but that's just what I believe that it knocks their confidence when they have a poor showing and people question even for one second that they aren't the best at what they do. So to me, they're going to be watching film on the Vikings all week long. And yes, you can't completely rewrite your playbook overnight. That's just not something that's feasible at the NFL level. There's just too much going on. There's only so much that you can do. But I think that this is the type of the game where you open up a new page of the playbook that they have that no one has seen, not just the Rams. I'm talking literally nobody in the NFL. It's not on film yet. It's something that you may have practiced or worked on a bit during the preseason, or maybe a little bit during you know OTAs and things of that nature. But this is the moment where you open up that new page because they're planning for certain things. They're expecting the zone running scheme. They're expecting the levels concepts. They're expecting the shallow crossers with Justin Jefferson. They're expecting the double move. They know this stuff is coming. They're as smart of players as you're going to find, and they have the talent to execute when they know what's happening. So the only edge that I think Clint Kubiak can find is just mystery, right? Pull something out of your ass that no one has seen before, and that gives you the opportunity to, at the very least, catch him by surprise. And if you hit him once with a big play, we saw Russell Wilson on Monday night miss this, I want to say, at least three times with a deep ball over the top where Metcalf's, I, I know specifically down the left sideline where Jalen Ramsey was able to make up the play because the ball was overthrown, or excuse me, underthrown. He was able to get a pass, def- pass defense when really it should have been a 65-yard touchdown or whatever. That's sometimes all you need to win a football game of this magnitude, right? Like if you can get that one play, those seven points can be the difference. And sometimes that comes from doing something that no one's seen before. And the defense is looking around like, I don't know what to do. And all of a sudden you've got one free runner. Maybe it's KJ Osborne. I don't care who it is. Like last week against Chicago, for example, I had never seen the Vikings try to use Justin Jefferson as a decoy before. Never, never. 
He just hasn't been used in that way throughout his career, partially because he hadn't been respected enough to do so up until about a month or so ago. Whether that's right or wrong, that's kind of how it had been. But he literally pulled in three defenders. And who who in their right mind thought they were going to throw – like they were targeting Amir Smith-Marset in the back right corner of the end, end zone? That's the type of thing you need to pull out this week because – you're going to be following Justin Jefferson, especially if Adam Thielen doesn't play. I think that he will play based off of, you know, the fact that he was on the field warming up for the Bears game. And I think he probably could have played against Chicago, but I think the Vikings just saw the situation and were like, eh, I don't think so. But you need to pull something. You need to find something that's going to give you an advantage. Mm -hmm. And I think that you have enough guys offensively, whether that's Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen, Dalvin Cook, you know, Tyler Conklin's had a great year. KJ Osborne has, has shown that he has the ability to make the, ma- the most out of situations when he's matched up one-on-one and he has, you know, some type of an advantage on his defender. And I mean, Amir Smith-Marset executed what he was supposed to do. Gives me some level of, you know, confidence that he can do the same again. To me, this is that week. You've got to pull out something that they've never seen before. And that's that one play might be the difference of the game, especially if you think this one's going to be close, which I, I tend to think so because while the Vikings – have played down to their competition. They also have played up to their competition throughout the season. And I expect a lot of the same. And to mm-hmm. me, it comes down to one or two plays, whether the Vikings blow it or not, that seems to be the difference. Right. Yep. I'm totally with you. hundred percent. I would love to see that. You know what? Not that his, he's been, I think Kubiak's had some really good games this year. Um, and it's nothing that it hasn't been bland per se. It just seems like the uh, foot has been, you know, the, that's been lightening up on the gas pedal a little bit the last couple of weeks. And I think it's time to hit the, hit the floor again. And so I, I think there's ways to um, incorporate some of those, something new. Right. Um, and there's been, you know, there has been some wrinkles throughout the season, but I, I think you're right. I'd love to see something totally new from him. And if it, if it fails, I I'd be okay with that. Like if it's miserably, you know, embarrassing or yeah. something like that, like that's fine. Like this is, you're playing one of the better teams in your conference. You're in a must-win situation. Mm-hmm. You're at home. It's your what do you got? A, a, is it the second to last home game this year? Uh, yeah. yeah, second yeah. to last home game of the year. It's a Christmas weekend. You know you're gonna have a very rowdy crowd. Like get, you have a lot of things that would be on your side if you tried to do something kind of unique here. I'm all for it. Absolutely. So I think that's probably a good place to put a pin in this one. Um, there's a lot of you know. There's some interesting things going on here as well. I know you mentioned before the Matthew Stafford returns to the NFC North here against your Minnesota Vikings. I think it's also important to point out, like you said, that Zimmer's kind of had his number and Stafford throughout this year has kind of, he has had some hiccups. So if you can get him to have another major hiccup, a good timing, right? Like it might give you an opportunity to find a way to sneak out a win. Now, this is probably a good point for us to, you know, move into our, our picks for the week and starting of course with the Minnesota Vikings and against the Rams here. Um, I think that we've floated around the notion that the Rams are going to win this game, but the Vikings have a chance if a couple things fall their way. And for better or worse, there have been moments throughout this season where the Vikings have had things fall in their favor. I think the refereeing last week in Chicago, perfect example of just something that you can't control consistently falling in your favor. I don't think that's ever going to happen again on the refereeing thing. But the Vikings have had some things fall in their favor. I think that they're good enough, especially offensively, to be concerned if you're an opponent. They're the type of team that you do not want to play down the stretch because you know they're going to play hard and you know that they have enough capabilities, enough superstar players to get some things done. My question essentially is what it comes down to is that 
do the Vikings have enough? Can they get this done, or are we seeing essentially the last of the the playoff dream uh, kind of drain down the sink this weekend? I mean, yeah, I think the safe play is definitely the the Rams here, and that's that's going to be my pick. Um, and for better or worse, I mean, I have been wrong about these get like the Packers game is it, it has a very similar vibe to the Packers game. Mm-hmm. Um, actually it has a very similar vibe to the Cowboys game prior to Dak going out is actually kind of what it feels like where there's one team that's coming into the stadium. That's clearly more talented and the superior team, but it seems like a lot of people are kind of giving the Vikings uh, their props and, and saying it's going to be close. And I think it's, that's just simply has to do with the Vikings being close in every game this year um, or winning by 13 as they did against Seattle. I'll take the Rams though. I think there's just so there's too much there. I think it comes down to a final drive where, you know, the Vikings need to get a stop to get the ball back at a three or four point game per se. And Stafford finds cup for a couple of first downs to ice it. That kind of feels like the, the very uh, predictable script for this game. Yeah, I'm with you. I'm taking the Rams too, as unfortunate as that is. Uh, I can't confidently pick the Vikings knowing one thing and one thing alone, and that's that the two-minute offense and defense are absolute trash, whereas the Rams, I believe, will definitely take advantage of that. I think that this is going to be one the type of game where for the first 28 minutes, the Vikings are going to be right in the thick of it. You know, you're going to be looking at like a 10 to 10 to seven score, 10 to three score, something like that. Essentially the Vikings in striking distance for the first 28 minutes of the game. And I think you're going to get, you know, essentially your, your legs chopped off at the end of the first half. I think Matthew Stafford is going to lead a two minute offense. McVay is going to be aggressive. And I think the Vikings are going to you know fall down to a point where they're down two scores going into the half. You know, I, I tend to think that, you know, obviously I don't know any of this because a coin flip is a coin flip, but it feels like, you know, it'll be a situation where the Vikings, you know, lose not just the points on the field, but then also hand the ball back to the Rams at halftime because they lost the coin flip and Zimmer's not able to defer. And this is the type of things that I think are going to go against the Vikings this weekend. And to me, that's the difference in this game is those little types of things where you turn one position possession into two, you get points on both of them. Mm-hmm. You lose the two minute drill on both offense and defense. Um, you make a couple of shoddy errors that, you know, maybe you wouldn't make against a, a team that you don't feel the need to gamble against. Um, I don't see Matthew Stafford having a four interception game or a three interception game like he used to have in Detroit occasionally against Mike Zimmer. I think that the, the game calls or the, excuse me, the play calling from Sean McVay is just more right for his playing style. And he doesn't, ha- he's not forcing it to Calvin Johnson in a triple coverage anymore. Um, he has an array of different guys that he can throw it to, and it's not focused on just one player. So he's not prone mm-hmm. to turnovers like he has been in the you know previous years in his career. And really, to me, that's that's the difference here is that if Matthew Stafford has a consistent football game, if he plays his game, if he you know controls the football, I don't think that you know the running game is nothing that I'm afraid of. I'm not concerned about Sony Michelle um, to the degree that I probably should be given the Vikings' run defense, but. Ultimately, I think it comes down to those two-minute drills, and I think the Vikings are going to blow those, and I think the Vikings are going to lose the game as a result. Mm-hmm. So I'm picking the Rams, too. Um, of course, as always, I don't feel like I really need to state this anymore, but I will. But, you know, I hope I'm wrong, and I hope this Vikings team continues on here. And you have it. been very right about Vikings teams this year, haven't you? Yeah, that's and that's part of what concerns me as well. I, you know, <laughs> I, I don't want to be right. Um, it's Honestly, it's quite painful for me to be right in this type of situation because it makes – makes the rest of the season that much more annoying. I would love to go to Lambeau field next week and have it matter. Um, and there are ways for that to happen without the Vikings winning, by the way, you know, I mean, I think Miami has a chance to beat new Orleans this weekend. I think that Philly has enough 
um, issues or vulnerabilities or whatever you want to call it um, for them to lose this week too. Just maybe if even if they're not the more the you know the more talent, even if they are the more talented team in the matchup, I think both of those mm-hmm. teams are susceptible to losing by their own you know errors. Taysom Hill, Jalen Hurts, we we know how those guys play. So um, there are ways, but I think that this one's going to you know, go in the Rams' favor and the Vikings are going to be put in a difficult position where they no longer control their own destiny. So we'll see what happens, uh, but that's how I'm leaning as well. So Rams for both of us. Let's move on to the rest of the NFL. Um, the Vikings, or excuse me, the rest of the NFL, uh, we get to we get matchups throughout the weekend, of course. I believe it's only Friday that we're not getting a matchup this week. So it's Thursday, Saturday, Sunday. Um, and that begins on Thursday night on NFL Network with San Francisco and Tennessee. Uh, both of those teams like to kind of play similar ball. Um, both of those teams have shown vulnerabilities. Both of those teams have been up and down throughout the year. Who do you got in this one? I'm going to take Tennessee. Um, again, I've, I've been a Tennessee fan. I've picked them. It seems like I picked them every single week. Um, but I, I trust Ryan Tannehill a lot more than Jimmy Garoppolo. And, you know, Garoppolo has been playing decent lately. Um, but I think, I think Tennessee's got enough of a, uh, they can, enough disruption, right. With their, their defense, whether it's the pass rush or whether it's their knack for turnovers, I think that'll come back to bite Garoppolo. And I think they get enough plays made defensively to win. I'm taking Tennessee too. I will say, I think it's a little bit against my better judgment. I, I somewhat lean San Francisco on coaching alone, just for Shanahan versus Vrabel. I like Mike Vrabel. I don't think that he's the type of guy that makes a difference from a schematic standpoint. I think he's more of a rah-rah dude, whether he believes that or not. I think that it's more his personality that, you know, is embodied within this Tennessee organization. And that's kind of what makes him a good coach and a good fit. Whereas Shanahan may not necessarily be a good personality fit. I'm not saying he's not, I'm just saying it's not necessarily the same way, but yeah, I think that he can scheme out a victory here. And, um, I think that it's going you know, to be the type of game with Debo Samuel doing his thing. I think Elijah Mitchell is going to return. I think they're going to be you know, playing ball control offense. And to be honest with you, that has been enough to beat Tennessee a couple times this year. But I'm going to roll with Tennessee against better judgment. They're at home. They are the better team on paper. Um, I'll go with Tennessee, again, against their better judgment. Uh, next one here is Cleveland at Green Bay. Now, this is an interesting matchup for a couple of different reasons. Green Bay – doesn't have much to play for outside of holding that number one seed. Cleveland has everything to play for with both Cincinnati and Baltimore leapfrogging them in the AFC North standings. Um, Cleveland is playing really weird football where their quarterback kind of stinks and they're winning despite him. Green Bay is playing maybe the best football of its season. Um, I'm not talking about points scored. I'm talking about LaFleur figuring out ways to get his guys involved, even when the opposition is trying to take everything away from them. Baltimore had two guys on Devontae Adams. They still made a mistake. He still scored. Aaron Rodgers is playing MVP ball. We talked about that last week. Mm -hmm. I I don't know how you beat Green Bay right now, but is there a way for Cleveland to do it? No. No. (laughs) There's not. Packers at home in December on Christmas Day. I mean, I don't know who's going to play quarterback for the Browns, but there's just no way whoever it is is going to keep up with with Aaron Rodgers and the Packers right now. Yep, that's kind of what it comes down to is that they're not going. To, I don't. I don't know if they're going to have Baker Mayfield, and even if they even if they do, don't think it matters. Right. Aaron Rodgers is too good right now. So Green Bay, both of us moving on to Indianapolis and Arizona. Um, another fun matchup here. I love this matchup so much. I love it's it. great. It's gonna be a lot of fun, especially with Arizona sliding a bit or at least experiencing adversity for you know, with their starters, at least uh, for the first time this year 
Indianapolis kind of cruising behind Jonathan Taylor, who we talked last week about he deserves to be in the MVP conversation. He kind of put a dot on the eye for us uh, with his performance last week, of course, sealing that game with the what, 60 yard plus touchdown. Um, who gets it done in this one? Well, Colts. I mean, they're, 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 they're uh, on fire right now. Arizona's kind of coming apart at the scenes. I think uh, at the seams, I think um, the Cardinals seem to be, I don't want to say fraudulent, but it's, it's, it's becoming a trend where they start the season hot and then kind of fade down the stretch as teams start to kind of figure out what they're doing offensively. And Kingsbury hasn't been able to adjust to that yet uh, in his career. So I got Cardinals will be in the playoffs probably. I mean, I don't think they've officially clinched, but there's just no way things crumble enough for them to fall out of the playoffs. But uh, I, I don't trust them to win a playoff game. And if I was a wild card team, I would want to go to Arizona if they end up winning that division. So anyway, I, I'm going Colts here. I think they're they're steamrolling right now. Yeah, I'm going Colts as well. Um, what's so interesting with Arizona is that I don't think that there's like a specific blueprint to beat them. Like you think of how Kyler Murray plays. There hasn't been a team. There hasn't been like a consistent theme of why they lose. Right. Sometimes they shoot themselves in the foot. Sometimes their offense is just kind of out of whack. I mean, obviously DeAndre Hopkins is out for the rest of the season. That alters what they're going to try to do, of course. But they find they have found ways to lose. And really, they found a way to lose against the Vikings, too. The Vikings just didn't take advantage of it. Right. And they've really been doing this consistently throughout the year. They've had a little bit of luck, um, whatever that is. You know, I won't get into that one again. Uh, but Indianapolis is playing true blue football, win in the trenches football. Um, I don't necessarily know if that's going to work for the rest of this year, like into the playoffs against really good football teams, but it's working right now. And I, I, I don't know, like, I'm not going to be the guy to be like, all right, this is the game where Jonathan Taylor starts, stop, like stops, you know, dominating everyone. I'm not going to be that guy. I'm not going to try to guess that. And I right. have no reason to believe that Arizona is going to be able to slow him down. And if they control the football, it's game over. They mm-hmm. won 12 from Carson Wentz last week and found a way to win. Right. I mean, they're going to win this football game. I'm taking Indianapolis too. All right, next one here. I don't think we need to say much about Detroit at Atlanta. Atlanta has essentially taken themselves out of playoff consideration or very close to um, Detroit, of course, got their second win of the year. Now it has the number two pick, uh, but, uh, you know, definitely finally a little bit validation for the Vikings at the very least by beating Arizona <laughs> by, what was it, 18 last week? Um, I got the Lions in this game. I'm going Lions. The Falcons are bad, man. They're bad. Like that, like I I saw it before last week, their point differential was minus 108 this year at six and seven for a record at that point. And they lost by, what was it? 18 against the Niners. Uh, So they're bad. They're really bad. Uh, I think the lions are the better team uh, throughout the season. I really do. I think that they just have been so close and uh, had so many games where were probably coin tosses that they probably should have won. I think they're the better team and I'm going to pick them to win. So this one to me is a matchup where you just kind of pick the hotter team because both teams are bad on paper. And until Atlanta starts featuring Kyle Pitts in their offense, and what I mean by features, I mean not seven targets, I mean like 12, 13, 14. I just I can't get behind it. I just can't. When you're giving all of the pa- you know pass attempts to um, Russell Gage, who made a hell of a play last week, but it's Russell Gage. I mean, come on, you got Kyle Pitts. Like, what are you doing? I don't think they're doing anything right other than running the Percy Harvin offense with Cordero Patterson, which has this ebbs and flows. You know, we talked about that the other week with, you know, with, uh, with the Vikings and how that season ended up running the Percy, Percy Harvin offense. I think Atlanta is kind of doomed in the same way. So I am taking Detroit too. I, and I don't think that we've had a 
we definitely have not had a week this year where we both have agreed that Detroit is going to win a football game. But I think this is it. Uh, I love what Dan Campbell's doing, by the way. It's amazing how he can be, he can have two victories. Urban Meyer can have two victories and be drastically. It can feel different. so different. Yeah. It's so different. It's, it's wildly different. Um, there was no doubt in my mind that Meyer would be fired. There's no doubt in my mind that Campbell's going to be retained. So weird thing. I think Detroit's kind of got something going. And I think they've got something with Armand Ross St. Brown, by the way. That guy looks really good as a rookie. So um, I'm rolling with Detroit. All right, next one here, AFC North matchup. I alluded to it earlier with the Cleveland game. Uh, Cleveland has an opportunity, of course, because Baltimore and Cincinnati are playing against each other this week. Um, it's, you know, of course, one of those teams is going to win and move up in the standings, but at the same time, one of them is also going to lose and drop down in the standings. Um, both of these teams have very, very obvious flaws. I don't know if Lamar Jackson is going to play yet. Uh, Joe Burrow did not look great. T Higgins and Jamar Chase let down every fantasy owner in the country last week with the way they played yet, um, against Denver. There's a blueprint to beat them, especially with the way that Denver played. I'm not saying that Baltimore has the resources to employ the same level of defensive play that Denver did last week, uh, but there is a way to beat Cincinnati. And I think that Tyler Huntley showed you enough where you can be confident if he has to start once again. Uh, I'm going to go with Cincinnati because I, I think this offense, I don't think it'll have another poor game. I think I said that kind of as my reasoning last week, even uh, for, you know, picking the, the Bengals in that game. Uh, I'm going to go with them again this week. I think I, I kind of been trusting Burrow more than Lamar Jackson and or Huntley or whoever the quarterback is for Baltimore. I like Burrow better um, to kind of provide you that kind of gritty grinded out type of win, which feels like that's what this game's going to be. So I'm going to go with uh, Bengals. I'm going to take Baltimore. This is a coin flip game for me. Um, you pick Cincinnati. I'm going to take Baltimore. Um, my ad, The reason why I think that Baltimore – I guess has a slight advantage here um, is because they're, they, they know what they're doing. They've been here in this situation before and I bash analytics all the time. Right. Um, most of the time, sarcastically, even if people don't catch that, but in theory, analytics are going to balance out over time. Right now, Harbaugh this season has had some pretty bad luck at the end of games. He's also had the one moment of course, where Lamar Jackson got it done. Uh, but over the last few weeks, he has not analytics have not been on John Harbaugh's side. Uh, I think that just on odds alone, I think he's going to have more success this week than he has the past two weeks. And if he continues to go for it on fourth down and it works, right, um, they're going to win more games because that's becoming the trend, right? If you are hitting on fourth down, uh, those teams are winning games. Mm -hmm. And if you're not hitting on fourth down, then you're losing games. So really, in theory, just on that aspect alone, it's a coin flip. Um, can you get it done on fourth down? And I think that it's going to balance out this week against Cincinnati. I don't think they make the same mistake of, you know, for example, what they did at the end zone at the end of the game last week, having one guy basically be the target in Mark Andrews and leaving Tyler Huntley out to dry if he's covered. I don't think they make that same mistake again. I think Baltimore gets it done. Mm -hmm. All right. Next one here is Buffalo and New England. And this one's a lot of fun too. Honestly, this slate is amazing. Um, just basically across the board. Uh, we have an inherent rivalry being that it's, you know, AFC East conference matchup. These teams, teams have basically hated each other since it, at forever. I mean, definitely started for sure in the 90s when the Bills were going to the Super Bowl every year, has prolonged, of course, during Tom Brady's tenure in New England. And now we've reached a point where these teams are basically on even playing fields. Um, I think Buffalo's a little bit more talented, but of course, you know, that doesn't necessarily matter when Bill, Bill Belichick is your coach. And then, of course, you've now got the implicit uh, rivalry as well with 
Doug McDermott essentially saying after the, his loss that, hey, like, let's not give too much credit to Bill Belichick. Let's be real here. The Patriots heard that. They put it on the bulletin that's, board. That's that the worst thing you can say. Though. The worst thing yeah. you can say after losing to the Patriots. Um, uh, I hate picking against the Patriots after that comment, but I'm going to go with the Bills here. Um, I think they're the better team. And I'm assuming, I mean, I haven't looked at the forecast. Uh, as long as the weather is normal, uh, you know, not whatever it was last time, uh, right. I think the Bills uh, have the advantage there. Plus, they actually, for what it's worth, have been running the ball a lot better lately. Uh, Singletary had a pretty good game against Carolina, mm-hmm. so he, he seems to be emerging as their top back. So I do think the Bills are are better prepared and better suited to win this game uh, this time around. I don't think there's a reason to disagree with anything that you just said. I'm going to take New England strictly because Sean McDermott couldn't keep his mouth shut. I'm not going to argue any other point here. That's the only that's thing. Fair. I do. That's fair. That's totally fair. And that's I, what I'm going I respect with. that. <laughs> that's what I'm going with. So we'll split on that one. New England for myself, Buffalo for Drew. Moving on to the ultimate stinker, right? Like, of course, if you get all these good matchups, you also get Jacksonville and the New York Jets. I don't want to spend any time talking about this. We got in this game. This is the nobody cares game of the week. Mm-hmm. Uh, give me Jacksonville and Daryl Bevel. I'm taking Jacksonville as well, strictly because once you get that coaching change, I mean, you saw the kind of they didn't want to use the word relief. Um, but they meant relief and yep. they looked a lot better, I think too. Um, and this is a good game for Trevor Lawrence to get back on track. I think Bevel's better in terms of calling a game plan for him than anything that he's had with Urban Meyer as the head honcho. So I'm going to take Jacksonville as well. All right. Next one here, back to a rivalry matchup. Uh, it's not a great one, but it's new. The New York giants against the Philadelphia Eagles, which historically have been very close matchups. Of course, a hated rivalry, both these, neither of these teams like each other. But Daniel Jones has been shut down for the season. Jalen Hurts is going to be out there. All signs point to Philadelphia getting this W. I don't know if it's going to be Jake Fromm or Mike Glennon at this point. I kind of hope it's Jake Fromm. Doesn't Doesn't really matter. Who gets it done? Uh, Philly, yeah. Phillies, they're playing well right now. They figured something out offensively. So that's the team, I think. uh, Well, it's that or the Saints that the Vikings need to be worried about right now uh, down the stretch here in the playoffs. Assuming the Vikings actually do what they need to do, um, which right. is already a tall task, but uh, give me, yeah. Yeah. Give me Philly. I'm taking Philly too. Um, I think they figured out that Dallas Goddard can be their own Mark and Andrews, George mm-hmm. Kittle, Travis Kelsey, whatever he's had he over hundred yards the past two, two weeks. He's had more targets the last two weeks. seems like uh, they finally understand that if, you know, if they can't get it to Devonte Smith because he's covered, um, they have one of the best tight ends, or at least one of the growing best tight ends in the NFL in Dallas Goddard. I think he's probably the individual difference, but I do think Philly's just a better team here too. And I think that there's really no way that they lose this one um, other than Jalen Hurts throwing up a, you know, an absolute bomb of a game and multiple turnovers, et cetera, which I just don't think is going to happen. So I'm rolling with Philly as well. All right. Uh, over to the NFC once again, Tampa Bay didn't score any points last week. They're, they're going to score points this week for sure because they're playing Carolina. Matt Rule is going to get fired. That guy stinks. Um, apparently, Cam Newton's going to start, but Sam Dar- Darnold's going to get yeah, snaps. I, I'm picking the Bucks because of that. <laughs> like that, that pissed me off when I read that, and I want them to lose by 100. Give me the Bucks. Yeah, I, first of all, I mean, you never bet against Tom Brady. What happened last week is a complete anomaly. Like I said, he's happened, what, three or four times in his entire career where he's been shut out. I, he had everything working against them. He doesn't get Godwin back. He might not get Mike Evans back. He doesn't get Leonard Fournette back, but he gets a full week of practice with every guy now. Um, and he gets Antonio Brown back. He gets Antonio Brown back, which I think is a big difference maker. And they don't really need a difference maker against Carolina because they stink and their coach stinks. So 
Give me Tampa Bay for sure. Probably in a route. Uh, next one here is the Los Angeles Chargers. They go to Houston. It seems like it's the Davis Mills show now. Um, he's playing better as a rookie. He looks decent. I don't think he has enough, but is it possible that Houston wins this one? Or how's this? I'm going to go against the grain and pick the Texans here. It's uh, oh, okay. They're going to get back to back wins in, in the year 2021. How about Do you it? like David uh, Culley? Does he, does he got something going? He's got a little bit of mojo or something. There's uh, frankly, I haven't watched or read enough about the, <laughs> the Texans. So uh, I don't even want to comment on that. Uh, I do know Davis Mills is playing well, and I, it does seem this is a classic Chargers letdown scenario here. On the road going to Houston, um, team hungry for wins. The Chargers need this one in terms of the playoff picture. They're coming off that letdown against the Chiefs. Uh, they have had that many bye week, uh, but I think the Texans, I, I'm, I'm kind of picking the Texans mostly because I kind of just want to pick an upset this week. Yeah, uh, I'm going to take the Chargers, but I don't want to pick an upset, at least not in this one. Um, Chargers... <laughs> The Chargers, you're right. They are filled with letdowns, but I, I do think that some of these letdowns fuel Justin Herbert. Like he's that kind of that quiet personality where like you know something's going on in his head, but you're not sure what's ticking. I think that it's kind of like he's got a chip. You've heard him a couple of times. If you, I know you probably listened to him on Pardon My Take. Um, I've listened to him talk to a couple of different people. It seems like he has that like very silent confidence where – he just kind of smiles when you say something nice about him. Mm -hmm. And so I think that hurt by losing to the chiefs, especially in the way that they did. Right. Um, I think they come out firing. I'm going to take the chargers. Um, next one here, Chicago and Seattle, another bum of a game. I don't, I just want to ask one question before we pick this one is Russell wasn't bad now. Like what's the deal? I, I, I yeah, maybe, I don't know. I, <laughs> I, that's that's kind of I'm kind of happy to be that the Seahawks are just we're done with them now at least it, it seems yeah. like we're done with Pete Carroll I mean that guy can finally be gone uh, this seems like a matchup of coaches that are gonna get fired so uh, I don't think a win changes that for either side either uh, give me Seattle though just because I think they're better right now Barely. yeah I mean I again I don't I, I'm with you this is two dead men walking um, this is two dead teams walking I mean they're taught the Bears players are already talking about leaving. Um, but I'll pick Seattle because maybe they figured something out with Rashad Penny. Maybe they figured something out with DJ Dallas and they definitely have the better quarterback, even if Russell Wilson, I don't know, man. I, I, he's lost something. Maybe it's the finger, whatever. I, he's not playing well. And the moon ball is gone. At mm -hmm. least it's gone for right now. He's got to figure something out, but I will still take Seattle because I just watched Chicago do what they did last week. Maybe he Lakers. used all his good reps up when he was doing imaginary huddles and yeah. no huddle offenses uh, that just happened to be caught yeah. on camera. Yeah, he's um, he's a guy for sure. He's, <laughs> he's he a guy. Me. He bugs me. All right, next one here: Pittsburgh and Kansas City. Do we need to talk about this one? No. Kansas no. City for both of us. Lock that one in. Uh, next one here is AFC West: Denver and Las Vegas, both of these teams have shown a propensity to keep their season alive, even when everyone says they won't. Um, same time, both Teddy Bridgewater got carted off. Drew Locke's going to be the starter. I very, I, I believe, I haven't seen confirmation, but I'm pretty confident in that. Um, Derek yeah, Carr's because, been because rather Drew consistent. Because Drew Locke is playing, know. I'm going to go with the Raiders, uh, yeah. just because I, I imagine it's going to be Drew Locke. And uh, the, you, you could not get two quarterbacks on one team uh, you know, one starter, one backup that are more different than Teddy Bridgewater yeah. and Drew Locke. Um, just the way they lead, the way they play. Drew Locke is the most aggressive, take my chances type quarterback. Teddy's yeah. going to check it down if it's not remotely there. 
and one's kind of more loud and and uh you know animated teddy is very not loud and animated so it did that dynamic's pretty funny uh but i think i think uh you know, Drew Locke's play style and his kind of risky play will benefit the Raiders more here in this game. Someone made a joke last week. I, th- I want to say it was Bill Barnwell, but I'm not sure um, whoever it was made a joke that um, Drew Locke in the two-minute drill last week was a, quote, legacy drive. Um, and really it was. Like, it's a, it's a joke because what kind of legacy does Drew, jo- Drew Locke have? But it also determined that this guy – doesn't really have it, right? No. Everyone got really excited when he was listening to put on on the sideline and bouncing his head around and stuff. That has absolutely no bearing on the football field. Like this guy, no. this guy is not. He's shown nothing to say that he's a good. He's good enough to win. Derek Carr, on the other hand, has had his moments. So I will take Las Vegas as well. All right, home stretch here. Second to last game, Washington at Dallas. Uh, I don't know if Taylor Heineck is going to kind of he's going to play. I have I. It's hard to pick Washington at this point with all the stuff they have going on, which is no. injuries and whatnot. It yeah, like I, I, mean, I don't think Dallas is that good right now either, but I they're think I'm going to pick them. But they're still winning. Yeah, so yeah, I'll take Dallas this, here. I'm going to take Dallas too. I feel like this is a slump buster, right? Like you're playing within your division. Dak, you know, his feeling the heat. Jerry Jones outright said, hey, I think he's slumping. Um, this is a slump buster game for me. I'll take Dallas too. All right, last one of the week. Very important, important matchup for Vikings fans if you've been paying attention. Um, Miami at New Orleans. Miami comes in on a riding a six-game win streak. They are now back to 500. Crazy enough. That's actually crazy. Um, they were I, dead, dead, dead. They're one and seven. And they're back. And they might, they might find a way to sneak into the postseason. Remember when? Now. Remember when the Jags beat the Dolphins in London? That was yeah. that was a fun time. Yeah, uh, it's wildly different organization now. So I got the Saints in this one. The what they did defensively Sunday night. I mean, I can't imagine now going, you know, Tua seeing that and going home. I mean, what, how is how is he going to score against the Saints when Tom Brady didn't score? You know, so that's my angle on this. I think the Dolphins score 10 points. And I mean, as for as much as I don't like Taysom Hill as a quarterback, they'll do enough to score more than that. I'm going to take Miami. A couple of reasons. Um, the New Orleans Saints take this with a grain of salt because I hate the New Orleans Saints. I'm not hiding any bias whatsoever, but that team is a bunch of egomaniacs from the coaching staff to the players, whatever, all of them just love to ride the high. And I don't blame them. I, when I was competitive in things, I was also emotional about stuff. I get it. But like, how do you have the balls as Chauncey Gardner Johnson to chirp Tom Brady because you beat him in a regular season matchup where he's just going to come back and be in the postseason in three weeks. It takes such audacity from Sean Payton down to Gardner Johnson, whoever, to do that type of thing. And I totally, totally, totally believe that they're going into this week thinking that their shit don't stink and Miami's going to brutalize them because Brian Flores is perfect for that matchup. He's the most level-headed guy. He's the most boring dude that I've seen to a press conference is Leslie Frazier. He keeps everyone level-headed. He is quarterback. Of course, Tua basically has never spoken above a dull roar. I mean, I think this is the perfect matchup for Miami where they don't care that they've won six in a row. They realize that they need to win more games. Whereas New Orleans, it wouldn't shock me that as of this recording, that these, those guys were out partying right now. 
And I don't, again, I don't really blame them. They're professional athletes. They're rich. They can do whatever the hell they want. But sometimes that reflects negatively, negatively on the football field. I think this is an example of that. I think Miami gets it done. I think they move over 500. Again, I hate the Saints. Take all of that with a grain of salt. It's 100% bias. It's not fact-checked. I just hate those guys. I'm glad you made that I clarification because that was quite the take quake that we just had on the show there. <laughs> BJ going on a rant about the Saints and their egos. But, I mean, I think there is something to it. There's definitely some egos there. Uh, and it seems like the Dolphins on the other side are still trying to find themselves. But, I mean, you got to go into the Superdome and that right. crowd is going to be loud. They're feeling it after beating Tom Brady. That's going to be a crazy environment. I just don't buy it yet for the Dolphins. I, and that's fair too. Again, I, there's no basis for anything that I just said. It's a 100% emotional take, and I'm completely fine with that. I'm a Vikings fan. True we'll blue, say though, I, I will care. be rooting. I'll be putting on my teal and orange or <laughs> turquoise and orange uh, you know, for that one because that'll that'd be huge for the Vikings if the, if the Dolphins can actually win that one. Absolutely. Especially, I mean, it, doesn't, it matters a little bit less as an AFC opponent, but because the Vikings did get it done in Chicago, every win, every loss matters at this point for Philadelphia, New Orleans, and Minnesota. So one to keep an eye on, um, whether you think <laughs> my bit of an outrageous claim has any merit whatsoever. Um, if Miami gets it done, that's big for the Vikings, especially if they lose to the Los Angeles Rams, which both of us just suggested that Minnesota will. So that wraps up our games for the week here. Is there anything that we missed? Is there anything else that you want to quick chime in about before we wrap this thing up? No, I don't think so. Um, I think, you know, if you, uh, I mean, if you made it through last week in your fantasy league, that's big props because that was the ugliest fantasy week of the season of the, yep. of, in a long, long time, actually. I know this. I know the Sunday for a uh, Sunday for having at least ten games. Uh, there was only forty touchdowns scored, which I be, believe is the lowest on a Sunday in the NFL since like '94. Um, so that was ugly. That sucked. I hated that. Plus all the COVID stuff. That was the worst fantasy week, being that it was playoff week and all that. That all that sucked. If you made it through, congratulations. I found a way to make it through. I lost my bye, by the way, on the final week of our fantasy season. So I was rolling throughout the year. I started seven and zero. I finished 11 and three, but the guy in the second best team, or I guess the best team um, was, tw- you know, 12 and three or whatever, or 12 and two um, and found a way to sneak in on the last week of the season. So I lost my bye. I was panicking all week. I'm like, Jesus Christ, what is going on here? This is the perfect week to have a bye. It proved to be as such. And I found a way to sneak that one out because my opponent had Godwin and Brady. That was the difference in that one for me. Tough. And so I got, I got into the second round. So I'm excited about that. I know no one cares about my fantasy team and really I don't care about any of yours either, but I wish you guys the best of luck this week. It should be a fun one, especially with the slate of games, a lot of fun matchups, a lot of good matchups, a lot of bad matchups could get interesting real quick. So good luck to everyone in that regard. Um, hope the Vikings get the W this week. Again, we don't really think it's going to happen, but Hey, you're at home. Mike Zimmer's fighting for his life. Uh, he's making jokes about being on the hot seat. He seems to be in good spirits. Who knows? Who knows? It's the true rubber match between mm-hmm. Sean McVay and Mike Zimmer. This one has fun written all over it. And, of course, the Minnesota Vikings have uh, very close to setting an NFL record for the most one-score games. Uh, and this one uh, push them a little bit closer to that. So um, we hope you guys enjoy watching. Thank you for listening to our show here and our bit of our recap preview episode here. Uh, we'll be back next week with at least one show. It'll kind of be dependent on what the Vikings do this week. Uh, We'll see what happens and the level of excitement that we have um, coming out. So 
Uh, thank you for listening. Thank you for continuing to listen to the Prime in the Pocket Network and all of our you know, great content creators throughout there. Um, if you're not doing so, and if you don't enjoy listening to our show, make sure to check out um, the rest of the shows on the network, different personalities, different styles of play, guys who like analytics, guys who don't like analytics. I think there's a little bit of something for everyone. So if you don't like Drew or myself, specifically myself, um, make sure to check out the rest of the network because I think there's something for you there. Um, if you prefer to watch this on video, we are on YouTube. Feel free to drop us a line on there. Uh, we appreciate that. I think there's like 14 or 15 of you guys now. So we've actually upped our numbers on YouTube. So someone someone does nice. like watching this on YouTube. So uh, thank you guys for doing that. Um, and then lastly, of course, make sure to check out Daily Norseman for all your blogging needs, your news updates, um, your feature stories, your you know, your analysis, good and bad, whatever. Um, it's a lot of fun. So make sure to check out the Daily Norseman for all of your needs in that regard. So thank you for listening to the show. Um, hope the Vikings get it done this week. And if they don't, eh, I guess we'll see. Keep an eye on that Philadelphia game. Keep an eye on that New Orleans game. And we'll talk next week. So thank you guys. Catch you now. Oh.